Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg, sound on with Kevin Sir. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump plots his impeachment trial strategy. We'll bring you the latest from inside the president's legal team and the latest from the 2020 campaign trail. And this, did you see this? Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar are criticized for skipping the black voter event for Democrats. How's that going to play out uh, on the campaign trail? And... We'll dive into the week that was, and what a week it was. Trade, dizzying. I'm still coming up for air. And I'm going to bring you an exclusive interview that I did earlier today for Bloomberg Television with Senator Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia. He says he agrees with one thing with President Trump's administration on Huawei. You don't want to miss that. We've got an all-star panel here to dive into. Let's start with impeachment uh, and the president's legal team. Anna Edgerton's here, Bloomberg politics editor. Have you come up for air yet? Uh, let me get to the end of today, and then I will say yes. <laughs> and your end of today ends when the show ends? Uh, depends on a background call we've got going on oh, right now. <laughs> wow. James Homan, national political correspondent for The Post and author of The Daily 202. One of my – actually, it's, I read it every day. Thank you. And uh, di- busy week for you. Crazy. Crazy. But what was your craziest part of the week? I think what was amazing was the fact that USMCA passed minutes before the Senate impeachment trial started. And and I really just think it it was kind of such a jarring juxtaposition between an 89 to 10 vote to pass this major trade agreement and then immediately going into the rancor and partisanship of of this, the only the third impeachment trial in U.S. history. Yeah, it was. It was. And and I remember and David Marks here, he's the deputy. uh, He's the deputy news editor at The Washington Examiner. I remember when President Trump had all the CEOs at the White House the beginning of the week and he was listing them all off with with members of Congress and the Republican Party for U.S. China phase one. La Vice Premier of China's in there. And he actually got a note from Secretary Mnuchin on the podium, David Mark, deputy editor at the Washington Examiner. And it was an alert that the lawmakers in the East Room, they had to go to a vote on impeachment to be present for it. I mean, it was just it was such a like illustration of this particular moment in America. It takes a certain amount of compartmentalizing, as Bill Clinton put it back during his impeachment days, to be able to pivot from one thing to another, literally within minutes of each other sometimes. And you mentioned Clinton impeachment. Let's talk about Ken Starr. There's a name for you. Anna. (laughs) (laughs) Ken Starr, the president's legal team. What do we know? Break it down for us. Yeah, so we got three new names for the president's legal team today. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, Ken Starr, and Robert Ray. Um, And, you know, this kind of 
gets Trump one of the things that he was looking for, and that is a robust made-for-TV defense that is not just for the Senate chamber, but also for the viewers back home. You know, he, all along, he said he wants to use the Senate trial as a way to present his case, clear his name, dismiss what he would call bogus charges from the House, and you know, this is the team to do it. He's seen them on TV, and this is what he's going to want them to kind of do in the Senate chamber is to say, you know, dismiss this as absurd as the president thinks it is. Yeah, one of the, the funniest moments today or wildest moments was uh, Monica Lewinsky uh, tweeting right after it was, it was officially <laughs> announced that Ken Starr was going to be representing the president to say this is one of those days I can't believe that what's happening is happening. And, and it is a, a blast from the past and it is a reflection of kind of the reality TV show presidency. One of the things that we saw yesterday was there was a lot of somberness. There was, you know, the the pomp and circumstance of, of this trial. There, was it somberness or was it, it fake no, somberness? It was fake somberness for sure. But that's sorry. But, but mean, it was such a juxtaposition to the house. Right, is my point. And right. and Donald Trump wants, you know, for a while I think he's wanted the fight. He he appreciates the people who are kind of fighting hard for him. Mitch McConnell has not wanted that. Uh, a lot of the Republican senators haven't wanted this to devolve into a circus-like atmosphere. And so the tension that we're seeing and the and I think the, getting the names of these defense attorneys shows the tension we're going to see next week is between sort of what a lot of the institutionalist Republicans in the Senate want and what Trump and, and his supporters want, which is sort of smash mouth. You know, they're they're playing. They know they have the votes to acquit him. They're trying I, to play for public opinion and their base. I, I think it's uh, remarkable, David, when when you look at the dynamics of where we're headed here. And really the only question that I've been asking lawmakers in both parties is how long is this trial going to be? Right. Because is, is it going to end before the president's State of the Union address or is it going to be this remarkable moment the day after the Iowa caucuses on February 3rd where the president's there and the Supreme Court justices might not be there because they didn't show up to Bill Clinton's uh, Supreme Court or they didn't show up to Bill Clinton's State of the Union address following the last impeachment as a, as a good source reminded me earlier today. And will will it happen? I mean, when will it end? Well, the conventional wisdom has been that it would be a short trial, as short as potentially two weeks or so. But naming these impeachment counsels for the Trump team suggests, as James said, that it's more performance art than legal argument. Of course, you have Ken Starr, known for the Whitewater investigation, Alan Dershowitz, who is only supposed to give an opening statement. It's another character there, also Robert Ray who succeeded Ken Starr as independent counsel and is one arguably who drew the most legal blood from Bill Clinton. He actually got him to agree to forfeiting his law license for a number of years, paying some court fines in agreement for not indicting him right when he became a private citizen in January 2001. So there's some real lingering history there. And we're going to see the first kind of opening salvo of that this weekend when we get some of the deadlines for the trial documents that both right. the Trump defense team and the House prosecutors, the impeachment managers, are going to have to file. So by 5 p.m. tomorrow, we could get the first trial brief from the seven members of the House of Representatives prosecuting the case. And then by 6 p.m., we will probably see the first uh, response from the White House to the uh, 
to the Senate summons for the trial. But are we going to get anything new in these documents? The question that I am looking to answer is whether or not they include the evidence from Lev Parnas. You know, that's the associate of Rudy Giuliani, who was indicted for, um, for uh, what was it, financial crimes? or right. campaign uh, finance. Campaign finance, that's what it was. And um, he... So we we have all these new documents, text messages, voicemails from him that have come out this week. And if that's included in the House trial brief, that indicates that they're using more information to back up their charges than they had when they actually voted on the articles of impeachment. Okay, so that's in terms of the legal documents, James. What about in terms of the uh, in terms of whether or not there's really any risk of, of Republicans breaking? It sounds like Republicans have a better chance of recruiting Joe Manchin to join them than of there being any and, and, Republicans and someone, joining. Someone like Doug Schumer. Jones, who's Doug up for Jones, even ever after, yeah, this year. yeah, it's easy to forget he's in the well, Senate. Yeah, I, no, you're right. Wow, James, Friday fire. <laughs> I didn't say it, Doug. If you're listening, go ahead, Senator Jones. That wasn't me. <laughs> no, when it, on the to your question, Kevin, it, it it really depends on the witnesses. That's the big wild card right now. And to David's point, that it also is what impacts timing. Yes. So if they're trying to follow the the Bill Clinton model from 1999, you can wrap up in two weeks if you don't have witnesses. But if you do, that's going to add another five to ten days. Yes or no? Witnesses or no witnesses? I think, and not yes. what you want, whether they're really. I, I, think, I think that there will end up being pressure. Yes or no? Yes, witnesses. Yes or no? Depends on the package they put together. You know, if it's ah, it's going to be it's going to be a tough vote for even some Democrats. And, when, and that vote happens when? Midweek? Uh, um, well, or two th- weeks from now? After the White House and House present their opening arguments. Oh. So depending on how long they set out. Alright, panel stays up next. What do Hillary Clinton and Taylor Swift have in common? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief <laughs> Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. This is Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I want people to take their vote really, really seriously because Lord knows what will happen if we don't retire the current incumbent and uh, his henchmen, as Nancy Pelosi so well described them. That was Hillary Clinton, the former Democratic presidential nominee back in 2016. She was speaking in Pasadena, California. She's got a new documentary out, a raw documentary on Hulu called Hillary. And so does Taylor Swift on Netflix, according to the Instagram. That's what I've read. It's the new podcast. Everyone used to have a podcast. Now everyone has a Netflix or Hulu. Exactly. Guess which will get a larger audience between the two. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg (laughs) TV and Radio. James Homan, he chimed in first. He's the National Political Correspondent for The Post. And he's the author, of course, of The Daily 202. David Mark, Deputy News Editor at The Washington Examiner. And Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg Politics Editor. I'll put you on the spot, Anna. David posed the question. We can talk about it. Who's going to watch more? Hillary on Hulu or Taylor on Netflix? I am the least qualified person to answer this, and you know this about me, that I don't <laughs> engage in pop culture. He's always you know, like, what are you watching? I was like, I don't have Netflix. <laughs> You're like, I'm, re- yeah. uh, I'm reading books. I'll, I'm, I'm a loser, and I'll watch both. Okay. Because that's... We won't um, hold it against that you. That makes you a winner, actually. Thank you, David. Yeah. Um, okay, another crazy thing that we'll talk about coming up was LSU was at the White House, and President Trump, talk about weird juxtapositions with trade policy and then impeachment. President Trump at the White House talking about football and then talking about impeachment. So what a weird Friday. Hillary and Taylor Swift, LSU and Trump and impeachment. Anyway, but I do want to talk about U.S.-China trade policy. And coming up, I'm going to play my interview uh, with Senator Mark Warner. He's a Democrat from Virginia. 
really about where the China story goes next. And and James Homan, you cover this in the Post as well as in your new daily newsletter. And I think that on issues of national security as it relates to China, Huawei, 5G, there is so much unity. And you're going to hear that coming up from Senator Mark mm-hmm. Warner. And I'm curious whether or not you're hearing from your reporting from your mm-hmm. sources that phase two of the U.S.-China trade deal would happen before an election or waiting until after. It will be. I, so I, I uh, interviewed Pat Toomey yeah, last night, who, so the, the only Republican senator who voted no on USMCA, nine Democrats did, including Bernie Sanders. And it was interesting because I asked Toomey that question. And uh, and he you know, he he's someone who kind of actually is supports the president on China, supports taking a hard line and and believes that because he described China as a revisionist power, that that makes it imperative to insist on on including some of that stuff in a, in any kind of agreement. And and people can go to the Washington Post dot com to, to read that interview that James did with Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican from Pennsylvania. Why was he against USMCA? He uh, he thought it really hurt the automobile industry, and he also was really upset because it has a sunset window, and so he says that's going to create uncertainty and it's going to hurt business investment because in 12 years we're going to have to go through this whole process again as they start the process. I think it's actually 16 years for renegotiating it, and that that's going to have this kind of the cloud of uncertainty. He also felt like it the the um, a lot of the labor protections in Mexico he thinks will make uh, cars cost more for for people. Two words, Jack Kemp. He is trying to inherit, arguably, the Jack Kempian economic wing of the Republican Party in the long term. He's got a tough re-election fight. Mm-hmm. No, he doesn't. He's not up till 2022. Bob Casey has a tough re-election fight. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. Uh, Anna Edgerton, as you look to the policy stories of, of where the trade story goes next, Vani Quinn on Bloomberg Television had a great interview earlier this week with the European Trade Commissioner, Phil Hogan. And Europe, from my, the sources that I talk to, Europe is really in the hot seat, even more likely, arguably, than a U.S.-China phase two. Yeah, especially when it gets to the tariffs that the Trump administration has threatened to put on some European goods. You know, we could have more expensive wine here, which is never a good thing. Um, so, you know... We've seen how the president has really likes to use trade as kind of a blunt policy tool. He used tariffs to accomplish other uh, other objectives to, you know, use as a threat against allies and adversaries alike. So it's, you know, it's a tool that the president likes to use. And it's also one that makes traditional Republicans very uncomfortable, like Pat Toomey. You know, they're nervous about the market intervention, about kind of the government-run direction of uh, U.S. trade policy, and would much rather prefer, you know, free markets, free trade. And there's just not much space for those people in the Republican Party anymore. Right. Pat Toomey, Senator Toomey of Pennsylvania, is kind of coming at this issue from the right. He is a doctrinaire free trader for for a couple of those carve-outs in the state of Pennsylvania, but most importantly for the Trump administration and specifically the Trump re-election campaign, this is a promises made, promises kept type of moment. They're not going to get into the intricacies of foreign trade policy. They're just going to say Trump said he would do it and he followed through. And for his supporters, that's what they need to hear. And the key is the farm belt. You know, one of them, I actually thought the most interesting exchange during the Democratic debate, which we haven't even mentioned, there was a Democratic debate on Tuesday night. The The craziest part of that debate was Bernie and Liz Warren. And that's what everyone will remember. And that's, but there was actually, and this is a, there was a substantive exchange on trade and Bernie Sanders 
uh, said he was against the deal. Every other Democrat on stage supported it. And the reason they supported it, even as liberal Democrats, even despite the Democratic Party's history of protectionism, is because farmers in Iowa are getting squeezed. They're getting hurt. They've been hit hard by these tariffs. And so any kind of the anything that can lessen the pressure on these voters who, frankly, you know, voted in many cases for Barack Obama and then voted for Donald Trump. These are the kinds of voters that will decide a bunch of these Midwestern states. And so that's why you have and Pennsylvania. That's why you have in, in Pennsylvania. And, and I come from that part do. of the, where exactly mm-hmm. where those swing voters who voted for Obama and then Trump. So, yeah, you're right. Go so ahead. Anna. Yeah. yeah one, one vote that really surprised me on the USMCA, you know, the new NAFTA deal was Chuck Schumer voting against it. Right. And the reason and Pelosi why, voting for it. Right. Exactly. And Pelosi not only voting for it, but holding it up as a kind of the future of, you know, how to negotiate trade deals from here on out. You know, they had managed to get some major concessions from the Trump White House, especially on labor. But the reason that Chuck Schumer gave for voting against it was climate, which was also the reason that Bernie Sanders voted against it. So having the kind of Sanders Schumer team up against the Pelosi deal. It's so interesting because quickly. We, yes. Yeah, so Chuck Schumer is concerned about a primary challenge from his left in 2022. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, someone that keeps Chuck Schumer up at night. And and so it was one of the other nine Democrats who voted no was Ed Markey, who's facing a primary challenge from Joe Kennedy III in Massachusetts. And that's a reflection of that tension. So good. This is why everyone needs to read The Daily 202, because James Homan is, is like the Washington Post and Edgerton. That's what, I, that's what I'll say. All right, coming up, David Mark is here. James Homan is here. Anna Edgerton is here. I'll stick around as well. Uh, you're going to hear from Senator Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia. And what he had to tell me earlier today on Bloomberg TV was really he was speaking more out of Pelosi's playbook than Schumer's on the issue of trade. And he's hopeful that a lot of these trade deals uh, from this week will be the foundation of the future and maybe rebuilding the This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Earlier today on Bloomberg Television, I spoke with Senator Mark Warner. He's a Democrat from Virginia. And we talked about a new piece of legislation that he has with Chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr, who... Uh, and he's the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee. They have a new bipartisan bill out uh, on Huawei. I asked him what it would do. Take a listen. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 5G and the issue of Huawei has been, over the last year plus, a bipartisan issue. This is one area where there's a lot of us that are in agreement with uh, the administration. We have to prevent Huawei from dominating the 5G marketplace. And if we simply allow the market to play out, they'll end up with 60, 70 percent. What we've not been able to offer our allies and even small telcos in America that purchased Huawei is... Even if you're convinced Huawei is a national security issue, what is the alternative? 
China has put up close to a hundred billion dollars to back Huawei, which allow, which has got pretty good equipment. It also allows them to then price that equipment not on a market basis and offer enormously attractive financing plans. What we have to somehow get is a to, over the next five years to the next generation of of telephony and what's called open radio access network and ORAN network. We in our legislation <clears throat> would put up over a billion dollars to support that kind of development and that kind of international effort to finance the ability to go head to head with Wall. Where does the money come from? Where, where, because taxpayers want to know that. This money would come from an auction of certain spectrum that should be again allocated to 5G. Currently, there are a series of satellite carriers that have this spectrum. We have to get them to give up that spectrum, and that legislation is also moving forward. And then. The proceeds, some of the proceeds would go to build out broadband. Some of this would just say, how do we develop a Western, not just American, but Western alternative to Huawei over the next five years? We believe that will be an ORAN network. In the meantime, we've got to do more to shore up those competitors to Huawei, the Swedish company Ericsson, the Finnish company Nokia, and the Korean company Samsung. You know, I'm struck by this because right now Germany has a tough decision to make. China's trying to make inroads in German markets. They're pushing Huawei hard, and, and the, the Germans haven't decided. So what's, what's, what's the U.S. message to, to European allies? Well, not only Germany, but our closest Italy. allies, the Brits, yeah. are making this decision as well. They have Huawei equipment. I think most of their security apparatus realize it's not a good long-term solution to have your whole network dependent on a 100% on a pure Chinese supplier, and particularly a supplier like Huawei that has such close ties to the Communist Party. But what you have to say to the Germans or the Brits or others is, all right, what's the alternative? Will that alternative be able to compete in terms of not just 5G, but 6G and next generation technology? And can we move this away from kind of a single stack, single provider to a more open-based software-driven systems? That's where the West can compete. That's what ORAN will build us as a bridge to. And the fact that our government with this legislation would make that kind of down payment that I hope would also spur other development from other Western nations who don't want to rely on China. Timetable? End of the year? My sense is this is the kind of legislation that needs to pass sooner than later because until we have a plan, not just coming out of America, but for the West writ large, Huawei's going to continue to win. Before the election? I absolutely. It has to be before the election. McConnell because said every month that goes on, another country, because they don't feel that there's a viable Western alternative, there's no American provider already, mm -hmm. but there's not even a viable Western alternative, it's going to turn to Huawei. If we can put together the kind of organized plan, I think the West would sign up and I think we could uh, actually stop what would be a major national security issue. Just quickly on impeachment, what's the next in this step in this process? Trial is going to begin early next week. Uh, the, the issue of witnesses, when do we find out if, if once and for all if there's going to be witnesses? Well, I think there'll be a series of votes early next week around witnesses. I think it's important that we hear from these individuals, particularly that have first-hand knowledge. They can clear the president or provide information otherwise. I would think the president would actually want them to speak. Chances are um, my Republican colleagues will not vote for witnesses early on, but once both sides have had a chance to make the presentation and we get a chance to ask some questions, I think we will revisit that issue. Uh, but. Your guess, is good as, your guess is as good as mine, whether that's two weeks away, three weeks away, before we have that second vote. 
That was Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, talking about Huawei and, of course, talking about the impeachment. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. David Mark is here, Deputy News Editor at the Washington Examiner. James Homan, National Political Correspondent for The Washington Post and author of The Daily 202. And Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg Politics Editor, who, while that interview was playing, told me a fun <laughs> fact about the Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr. Yeah, his his father was the one who baptized me at First Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. What? Wait, <laughs> so Richard Burr's dad, dad yeah. baptized you? Yeah, he was a pastor at First do, Presbyterian. Do you ever run into him? How? No, how? how did I, that I don't happen? really remember. I was so it was by chance? <laughs> Ryan. A little young. I was a no, baby. <laughs> but was it by chance? Um, I, he was just—he was the pastor at the church that we went to when I lived in Winston-Salem. Wow. So yeah. things I also learned. Richard Burr is the son of a pastor. Yeah. You know who else is the is the child of a pastor? My good friend Nancy Lyons, who does our news breaks here. Did uh, not know that. For this well, program, yeah. yeah. So, you know, th- things you learn, learn tuning into uh, to, to Bloomberg Radio Sound <laughs> All right, I want to talk about the – I want to pivot here and talk about the, the state of play. James, you're headed to Iowa tomorrow. Right. And you're going to be – what are you going to be looking for? For the 2020s. Well, this is the last weekend that the yeah. the senators get to campaign, and so uh, it's it's there's kind of a, a sprint. They're trying to get in as many events as they can. So I'm going to front load on the the Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, and then back load uh, next week. Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden are both trying to capitalize on the fact that their rivals are going to be stuck here, and I want to get a sense, kind of on the ground. It, these issues have become so nationalized. This is my fourth presidential campaign covering it full time. And what is fourth? Fourth. Amazing. You've been doing this for 16 years? <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So the- See, I came in when you were at Politico right at the end of it. I had just I, I, when I moved to D.C., it was right before the 2012 election. That's right. So I don't even cons- I don't really consider myself that I covered that. So to me, this is my second. It was, it was, it was comparatively me. relatively. I just didn't realize that we're that old. <laughs> oh, my. But. but Compared to 08 and 12 and even 16, what you're seeing is these elections have become so nationalized. So it used to be when you were in Iowa, people watched local news, you know, and they got their, they kind of, they read the local paper. And now everyone is kind of, people pay a lot more attention to these national stories. And so it'll be interesting to see how people are watching impeachment next week in Iowa and whether it really matters that the people aren't around and, and what those events uh, make a difference. But one of the theories I have is that Amy Klobuchar is the senator who's going to get hurt most by impeachment because uh, Warren and Sanders both have very strong on-the-ground organizations. They also have a lot more money, so they've been able to invest in those. Amy Klobuchar isn't hitting 15% in the polls. The Minnesota senator, it's right next door. If she can't do well in Iowa, her campaign is over. And if you don't get 15% in these precincts at the caucuses, you're considered not, quote, viable, and so you don't get any delegates. So that's why I think she's potentially really hurt by not being able to be there during this home stretch. And just, we were talking about this earlier in the week, and, and the 15% viability is so important. Iowans go into a caucus, let's say a high school gym, on the first ballot. If you don't hit the 15% threshold on the first ballot, you're off for the second ballot. And how many ballots are there? As many it, as it, many as it takes to get a majority. Right. And so if you're Amy Klobuchar and you get 14%, where do Amy Klobuchar's supporters go on the second ballot? And that's what that's what when people talk about fifteen exactly. percent viability. That's why it matters so much. What are you watching for, David? I'm watching for actually twenty twenty. 
Also in Iowa, the Democratic Party there is has a added a new counting procedure, which sounds really in the weeds and a little boring, but it could be no. crucial on election night. They're, in addition to looking at the totals you were just describing, the net delegates, etc., they're also counting raw vote totals, which could give candidates who don't finish on top a chance to say, you know what, we really won, and to declare multiple candidates the winner. I'm not sure the Iowa Democratic Party quite knows what it's getting itself into in this case. I'm not sure Americans are, know what they're getting themselves into. You know why? Because I think that we, we for all these rules and diving in the weeds or the Iowa cornfields and the soybeans, it really comes down to who won, who got the most votes. Right. That's what people tuning in that night they want to know, right. and that's the momentum, the big mojo. Coming up, what's on the panel's radar, plus LSU and Donald Trump at the White House. What happens? Find out next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I think you called me a liar on national TV. What? I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion, we'll have that discussion. You called me a liar. You told me. All right, let's not do it now. I still can't stop listening to this and watching this. That, of course, was from the debate earlier this week in Des Moines, which feels like a year ago. But after the debate, when when Bernie went in for the handshake and Senator Warren said no, and then the whole thing happened, we know what happened next. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent with Bloomberg TV and Radio. David Mark is here. He's the Deputy News Editor for the Washington Examiner. Anna Edgerton is also here, Bloomberg Politics Editor. James Homan, National Political Correspondent for Washington Post, author of The Daily 202. All right. It's been a couple of days since that exchange. James, who who won, who lost? Did it have any effects or not? It's. I think it is too soon to say. I hate to say that. I think okay. I was very fluid, but I, th I, I, I don't think it helped either of them. I don't think you know. I, 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 I don't think Bernie has been hurt as much as some people thought early in the week. I don't think this is going to help Warren peel off, uh, kind of liberal women who supported Sanders, which I think was part of the theory of the case behind doing all of this. Right. And and I I think Warren was kind of trying to it. it it kind of raises more questions about her credibility in some ways, uh, especially after the Native American fiasco. Uh, what you know is is she telling the truth? Sanders says she's not, and it, it it's one of those that would be the Republican narrative attacking her. Uh, it, and it it sort of did open up a Pandora's box where you have a lot of Sanders supporters now kind of vociferously criticizing her, uh, and and so it's, I think it actually has made it harder for Warren to present herself as the unity candidate in 2020. All right, so now we're going to do what's on the panel's radar where the panel tells us one thing that they're that they're looking at. What are you looking at, James? So especially the, the 2020. The, the, and you're going to Iowa tomorrow. I'm going to Iowa yeah. for the next several days. South Carolina is uh is is you know not the first early state uh, and one of the things that's interesting is speaking of Bernie Sanders he got blown out there by Hillary Clinton. The beginning of the end of his campaign in 2016 was, I think he lost by like 40 points in the South Carolina primary after winning in New Hampshire by like 20 points. So Sanders has invested a lot of time and money and resources in trying to make inroads among African-Americans in South Carolina. There are signs that it's working. Biden, Joe Biden has overwhelming advantage among African-Americans, would certainly win the South Carolina primary if it was today. But Sanders is using this kind of last weekend 
to go to South Carolina. He's having a bunch of events in the black community on Monday. And what I'm struck by is Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg all in on Iowa. They're not sort of making that diversion to South Carolina right now because yeah. But for Pete Buttigieg to skip an African American event on Martin Luther King Day in South Carolina, wow! It, it absolutely wow. But if 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 Buttigieg loses in Iowa, if he finishes fourth in Iowa, it, it, it almost doesn't matter. Uh, it's so it, it is. It just reflects that he's really you know all, Klobuchar, Buttigieg are going all in on Iowa. And what's interesting about New Hampshire. You know, you have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren both represent states that border New Hampshire. Right. It's a liberal electorate. And so if if whoever, whichever of those two loses in New Hampshire, their campaign is essentially going to be done. James Homan is who you want to have lunch with, coffee with, a beer with if you drink about politics. Because, I mean, it, it, he knows everything about every single solitary. He's, he's like the, the next Mike Allen. That's every time I'm in his presence, I, I just am like, James Homan's going to run Washington. And, and we already, you know, anyway. All right, David Mark, what's on your radar? Thank you, James. I'm that was at, a nice way of complimenting you, you without, you. without finishing the compliment. I'm really good at complimenting. Go ahead. Looking at something that's a little bit below the radar screen, but which yeah. the, many of the campaigns are still focusing on. This is actually going all the way out to March 3rd, Super Tuesday, and how to actually win delegates in the super states of California and Texas. It's not just majority wins. It's going, in Calif the case of California, by congressional district in Texas. It's by state senate district. It's a very convoluted process in which you can get the most votes statewide, still come up well short in delegates. That happened with Hillary Clinton back in 2008 in several of these states. So I think the really smart campaigns, to the degree they have the resources, they're trying to plan ahead for this. That's a great one. That's a great one. And in terms of how, how long things are going to last. All right, Anna Edgerton, what's on your radar? If I could have a little bit of a, a sh uh, more near-term radar, um, yeah. I'm looking tomorrow for these deadlines for yes. impeachment documents. Um, you know, I cover Congress, so it's kind of all impeachment next week for me. And you, th the way that the Senate trial shapes up is probably not going to affect the ultimate outcome. You know, we do expect Trump to be acquitted by the majority Republican Senate, but you know, it is important for the president's reelection campaign how he comes across. You know, also for senators running for reelection. It's also important for how the House's case is prosecuted because you have a lot of uh, House Democrats who are going to be vulnerable on impeachment when they go back to their swing districts to run for re-election. So there's a lot at stake politically for this, even if not kind of judicially. So, um, you know, these documents will be the kind of opening salvo for that, and we'll see how it plays out. All right. What's on my radar? And then we're going to have some fun. By the way, a breaking he breaking news headline over the Bloomberg terminal. Ex-Congressman Collins, Chris Collins, just got 26 months of prison time for insider trading. Wow. Republican from, from New York. So he's gotten 26 months in jail. That's not what's on my radar. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Collins. Um, it's Davos. Davos starts Davos. next week. And you got to tune in to Bloomberg. No one does Davos coverage better than Bloomberg TV and radio. Down to the cocktails that are... Down the to the jackets that yeah. my fancy schmancy <laughs> colleagues get for covering Davos. We're, never mind. Uh, <laughs> um, Friday, Friday fun. But uh, anyway, headlines. President Trump's still likely going to attend Davos. He has skipped it in the past. And the CBS News headline says President Trump expected to attend the summit in Davos and likely to meet with the Iraqi president. So mm. that meeting happens. I mean, you know, given the dynamics of foreign policy, it could be interesting. And then 
the headline in the Bloomberg Terminal by my colleague Michael Winfrey, Davos elite take on climate with Greta's help. Not Greta Van Susteren, who, you know, we love on this show, but with Greta Thornburg, who, of course, is the young person uh, who has, you know, time person of the year, has a better resume than any one of us at the age of not even 18. Anyway, uh, but Davos and how the president's reception is on that. Seriously, all kidding aside, that meeting with the Iraqi president could prove to be incredibly influential uh, as the situation with Iran uh, continues to to intensify. All right. We did the radar. LSU at the White House today. Wow. So President Trump with the LSU you know, they won the national championship. Take a listen to what the president had to say uh, with LSU right there in the background. We'll take pictures behind the Resolute desk. It's been there a long time. A lot of presidents, some good, some not so good. <laughs> but you got a good one now, even though they're trying to impeach the son of a <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> what a, a way to you know i overheard a conversation in the newsroom earlier about whether or not we can use words like that in our copy and i didn't realize it was a quote from the president about himself wait play it one more time play it one more time go ahead we'll take pictures behind the resolute desk it's been there a long time a lot of presidents some good some not so good but you got a good one now even though they're trying to impeach the son of a can you believe that I, I, you know, all right, very quickly, we literally have a minute and I can't mess up the heartbreak. What was, what was more impactful, that quote or the Bernie hot mic quote? I got to go with LSU. A lot right. more people follow football. You say LSU. LSU. I, I just hear like SNL skits whenever yeah. anyone I in can't Washington wait. Is Saturday Night Live new tomorrow? I don't know. I don't, don't know, know either. But I, I can't wait to see the Bernie Elizabeth Warren SNL spat. On SN, it's on so good. It's going to be, yeah. it's gonna be amazing. James Homan, thank you so much. Safe travels, my friend, to Iowa. Anna Edgerton, thank you as well. David Mark, thank you. And of course, thank you to Senator Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia. Next week, Davos, folks. Make sure you listen and tune in to Bloomberg. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes or Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.